0: Welcome to Let's Talk Family Law, your source for how to navigate the financial and legal implications of divorce, custody, asset division, and adoption. This podcast series is created and produced by Weber Gallagher. Visit us at wglaw.com. This program should not be considered legal advice. Please consult our attorneys for your specific situation. And now, here are our hosts. Hello, my name is Skip Persick, and I'm an attorney in the family law department of uh, Weber Gallagher, a uh, Philadelphia law firm that uh, is involved in a general practice. We have attorneys all over the uh, middle Atlantic states, but uh, I am based in King of Prussia, Pennsylvania, and uh, we have three family law attorneys working out of my office. Um, We have a very special guest today who is also an attorney with the firm, but uh, she is going to help us out with our... Uh, topic for the day, which is adoptions. Uh, I handle adoptions, and uh, I had handled adoptions previously from a different perspective, that of a uh, uh, a solicitor for the Chester County Department of Children, Youth, and Families, and I handled all of their termination of parental rights cases. So we'll talk about that a little bit, and uh, we'll also talk about generally the adoption process and what uh, people out there who are considering adoption uh, needed to go, at least from the uh, the legal perspective. And uh, as I said, our very special guest today is Caitlin Goodrich. And Caitlin, you are an attorney in our firm, but you do not work in the area of uh, family law, correct?
1: That is correct. I do civil rights and medical malpractice defense, meaning I represent doctors and hospitals when they get sued. But I have absolutely no background in family law other than my own personal experience being involved in it as a adoptive parent. And and tell us a little bit about that. Sure, so I actually uh, went the foster to adopt route, which is a little bit different than what we typically think of with with adoption. Um, About four or five years ago, I decided that I did want children, but I wasn't quite sure how I wanted to go about it. And uh, at the time I was a child advocate in Montgomery County and realized there were all these amazing children who were in the foster system who needed homes. So I signed up with an adoption or a foster agency, and I've been a foster parent for the now for the past about three or four years. And I've had many children in my home, and I'm currently the mother of one adoptive boy, and uh, his biological little sister is also in my home, and she's still in the foster system.
0: Wow, that's really amazing. That that's that's great, and that's a wonderful thing uh, to do for these children who. Uh, 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 who are just in need of uh, just stability and the magic word in the uh, foster care world, permanency. And you're helping to bring that to these two children. Um, uh, you said that you took the uh, the, the route of uh, foster to adopt. What, what did That's you mean correct. by that?
1: So there, are, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, in great detail as we go through this podcast. But there are many avenues that you can adopt a child. Foster to adopt is a little bit different where you go into, uh, you enter the foster system. Uh, You sign up to be a foster parent and then you open up your home for children to come into your home. And in that process, you don't, it's not like you go through a book and find a child that looks like that's a good fit for my home. Literally, you get a phone call saying, I have a two-year-old boy who needs a home. Are you willing to take that child in tonight? And you don't have time to think about it. You just say yes or no um, and you don't know anything about that child until literally he shows up at your door Um, and it's kind of a frightening experience but it was so worth it and um, if you're if you want to be a foster to adopt parent it just means that you're willing to take on a child who eventually may be eligible to be adopted most children in the foster system are not currently eligible to be uh, adopted um, because their parental rights have not been terminated or the biological parents have not had their parental rights terminated Um, But once that happens, then you as a foster parent can step in and start the adoption process for that child. So myself, I'm a foster to adopt, meaning I'm I'm eligible to take children who could be adopted in the future.
0: Now, you also told me at one point that you are involved with an adoption agency, correct?
1: Um, Sort of. So I actually am involved. I'm I'm a board member of an organization called the Adoption Center. And essentially, it is an organization that helps to place children uh, with permanent adoptive families who would otherwise age out of the system or who would otherwise be very difficult to find permanency. Um, The unfortunate part is older children in the foster system have this stigma attached to them for no other reason than they're older and in the system, and they ultimately tend to age out. I think that the numbers now, we're looking at about 20,000 children per year age out of the foster system, and they have nowhere to go. And that's just something that's always been very near and dear to my heart, and it's I Me, mean, I can't imagine, you know, being 18 years old and not having a family to go home to for the holidays. So the adoption center, they they provide matching events to try to place with uh, permanent homes, uh, and they reach out to families all across the the tri-state area here in Pennsylvania uh, to find more parents who are willing to take on these children.
0: Yeah, I think in my experience as well that children under the age of two seem to be uh, very. Uh, easy to place for adoption. And then as they start to get a little bit older, uh, it gets more difficult to find uh, at least third parties that are interested in adopting them. A lot of times, and we'll talk about this, either grandparents or aunts and uncles or some sort of a relative are interested in adopting an older child. But uh, if that resource is not there, it's tough to place those kids that are 12, 13, 14, uh, and as you said, it's just such a sad situation when, uh, uh, you know, a kid's 18 years old and has really nowhere to go.
1: Yeah, And, and I uh, think the, the frustrating part is there's this this perception that if you're 13 or 14 years old in the foster system, there must be something wrong with you or there must be some trauma with that child that that you can't overcome. And that's not always the case. I mean, these are amazing children who have these great stories who can bring so much love to your home. So, it, you know, if you know, there's anybody out there who is really thinking about it, you know, keep in mind that there are these 10, 11, 12, 13, or even older children who, who need homes out there, and they're great additions to any family.
0: And what was the name of uh, that, uh, that organization again? It's called the Adoption
1: Center, and their website's adopt.org.
0: Okay, and that is based in Philadelphia,
1: correct? It's based in Philadelphia, and they work in Delaware, Philadelphia, Delaware, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey.
0: Okay, great. Now, as we kind of alluded to a moment or two ago, uh, adoptions kind of come in uh, a little bit different twist. Um, They all follow the same process. However, there are, as I said, different types of adoptions. One of them, and the one that I seem to get involved in most frequently, is step-parent adoptions. And in that situation, you will have a parent who has a child that uh, either through divorce or death or whatever uh, that child has uh, uh, lived uh, almost exclusively with one parent, and that parent uh, then marries, and then uh, there is a situation whereby that that new step parent would like to adopt the child, and. Uh, uh, the that is, as I said, one type of uh, of, uh, of of an adoption, and I do that quite commonly. Uh, second, and when kind of the most commonly thought of type of adoption that we kind of spoke about a little bit ago, which was at at, at birth, is that there are people out there who are looking to have a child, and for whatever reason, uh, they cannot have their own child. They then uh, seek to adopt, and there are agencies out there as well as there are attorneys out there who kind of solicit uh, mothers that uh, have unwanted pregnancies and are looking to place their children for adoption. Um, uh, If you so find a child, I can certainly help you out. Uh, I do not maintain a list of parents. I do not uh, solicit mothers uh, to Place children for adoption, but that that situation does exist. Additionally, and this is a little bit beyond our discussion today, but there are uh, or there is a a concept in the law of assisted reproduction and surrogacy. As I said, is that that's a little bit beyond our scope of today's webcast. And uh, uh, I'd be happy to to talk to anyone listening in about that. But as I said, that's a little bit beyond our. Uh, our situation. Also, there is the situation that uh, Caitlin referenced, which is adopting a child out of the juvenile dependency court system. In that situation, you have a, a child whose parent, for whatever reason, just uh, cannot uh, or cannot take care of that child, either through mental health or through drug and alcohol or whatever the issues are. Uh, the parent or the child has made it into the uh, the dependency system and there is a whole set of state and federal laws that say that once a child is in the dependency system for uh, 15 of of 22 months, then the child's parental rights need to be terminated, and um, uh, the child is then free for adoption, and people like Caitlin, and people like the people that I work with at the Chester County Department of Children, Youth and Families, they're looking for permanent placements for that child, and the child is then ready for adoption. Uh, I have also been involved with uh, grandparent or relatives seeking to adopt a child, and the the scenario there is that um, is that uh, is that uh, the parents are for uh, whatever reason they're they're out of the picture. Uh, usually has to do with substance abuse. There have been some recent statutes passed by the Pennsylvania legislature that uh, specifically address these needs, and it's because of uh, par- uh, grandparents that are involved in raising their grandchildren because um, the actual parents are not able to do so. And sometimes the uh, the parents would will be willing to uh, sign a consent to adopt, and the grandparent then uh, steps in, adopts the child, and uh, uh, raises that child as if it was their own uh, birth child. Um, also, and this comes up every so often, is that there are adult adoptions. Adoption is not limited to children. It is possible for a 60-year-old to adopt a 25-year-old, if, in fact, uh, that is something that uh, both sides so choose. The uh, interesting part about that, from my perspective, is that once a child becomes an adult and is over uh, over age 18... Uh, you do not need to do a termination of parental rights. Is that uh, the child can uh, consent to their own adoption and uh, uh, you can go through the paperwork and get a court to uh, sign a decree of adoption. And as I said, one adult can adopt another adult. Um, Caitlin, you touched on this a few minutes ago, but uh, you did uh, adopt out of the juvenile dependency system, correct?
1: I sure did. Um, so I I did a, there's, I guess, two kind of ways you can do it. Um, The first way is the way that I did it, which, again, you just bring a child into your home whose parental rights have not yet been terminated. And sometimes that child will go back to family. Um, Oftentimes it may not necessarily be with the biological parents. Sometimes it'll be to an aunt, uncle, a grandparent. Um, And, you know, it's a bit heartbreaking, but you understand what you sign up for, but there are those great occasions where, you know, you actually do, or you are able to adopt a child that has been in your home uh, through the foster process. Um, And and like I mentioned earlier, it's a little bit different that way because you don't really know much about the child, but you learn to get to know the child as they're in your home longer and longer. Um, There's another way to do it, which I didn't do personally, but you can go through what's called the SWAM Network here in Pennsylvania. Um, And uh, it's a database where you can uh, look up Uh, all the children who are eligible to be adopted, meaning their parental rights have already been terminated in the state. And um, you can learn all about the children, see photographs, and it's this great opportunity to see what children are available and see if it might be a good fit for you. And you can kind of go through the process that way as well.
0: Um, And that's SWAN, right? S-W-A-N for Statewide Adoption Network.
1: That is correct.
0: Okay. I didn't mean to cut you off. Did you have anything else for us?
1: No, absolutely not. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Now, uh,
0: I, I guess the next thing I wanted to talk about was the adoption process. And uh, 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 you kind of touched on this, Caitlin, which is that uh, one of the, the, the sometimes difficult, sometimes not so difficult, because, as I said before, relative to grandparents and relatives adopting a child, the child kind of ends up in your care, and you didn't really plan it that way, but it's finding a child. Um, uh, you said that you signed up to be a foster parent and uh, 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 and and things just kind of one led to the other and you end up adopting um, but uh, uh, that that's at least from my perspective uh, that that seems to be a uh, uh, the most difficult part of the whole process is finding a child that uh, is uh, in need of uh, adoption services and in need of parents uh, the permanency of an adoption. Would, would you agree with that?
1: I would absolutely agree with that. And I think it's also more difficult because of the unknowns as a foster parent. Um, again, you don't. it's not like you're going through a book or walking through um, adoption, uh, adoption matching event, trying to connect with the child. Um, you are literally given a name and an age and a gender and the child shows up at your home and you really don't know anything else about them. Mind you, uh, before you even accept a child into your home, your foster agency will kind of go through what you're willing to accept into your home. Um, You know, questions like what age range, um, race, ethnicity, religion, um, whether or not you're willing to take on children who have physical or mental health needs or, you know, sibling groups, or, you know, if the child has some sort of trauma in their past, would you be willing to take on those children? And one thing that I had to really look deep into for myself personally was not only what did I want, but what was I willing to accept? Um, was I willing to take on a child who had a physical disability? I mean, I'm a single mother who has a full-time job as an attorney. Um, could I handle a child who had special needs? Um, and you know, based upon that, I realized I could to a certain extent, um, but I had to set limitations for myself. I mean, in the very beginning, I was like, I want every child. And I had to realize after a while, I, I can't take on every child with every single need out there. Um, so if you have a good foster agency, they're going to really work with you to kind of figure out exactly what you want and what would be good for you and place you. That being said, I know I've met many foster parents who end up really don't getting placed because their, their restrictions, they have so many restrictions on what they want. They say, I only want an African-American female newborn with no mental health health issues who's ready for adoption tomorrow. And you're just not going to get that placement. Um, I mean, I got that placement, but most people don't.
0: <laughs> right, and I remember when I was working with Chester County that I had a few of the very sad situations that are are, are failed adoptions. That mm-hmm. someone would adopt a child, and it seemed that the uh, that these situations developed around uh, parents who adopted a child, kind of sight unseen from another country, uh, and and the child had. Uh, either physical issues or more likely mental health issues. That as the child got older, it were more and more, uh, more and more pronounced, and just the child was more and more difficult to deal with. And the parents then wanted came to the county and said, "We want to unadopt the child." And I remember a judge in Chester County saying that. A child is not a washing machine. If it doesn't work right, you can't send it back. You've adopted this child. You've made a lifetime commitment to this child, and the judge wanted no part of it. So uh, what you him. said is, 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 is very true, which is that you have to do some soul searching to decide you know, what you can do and what you are willing to do and, and the limits of that uh, in finding a child to adopt.
1: Absolutely. And I, I think you know. in social media, we're hearing more and more about those types of stories of this isn't what I expected. I, I think nowadays, adoption is becoming more and more commonplace. Um, we're seeing it more in media and sports and news. And because that more people are willing to open their, their homes up to adoption without understanding that there you, you do have to really understand what you're getting into. Um, and I, I hope there's no you know, pre-adoptive parents out there who are just thinking, I will love and take every child, and the child gets in their home, and this is, this is too much. You would never abandon your own, person, your own child that you gave birth to because they had a medical issue. So why would you do that to a child you brought in through the adoption process?
0: That's just my first thought. Well, and, and with adoption, legally, it is your birth child. I mean, Absolutely. from the, the court's perspective, there is no difference between an adoptive child and a birth child. Your commitment and your obligations to that child are exactly the same.
1: My name is on my son's birth certificate right now. So, yes, right. absolutely. <laughs> right. Now, in terms
0: of the process, I, I, first, once you find a child, is that you have to notify the courts that you are uh, uh, willing and you are interested in seeking adoption of the child. So you can do that either by filing a petition for adoption or a notice of intention to adoption. Now, that's pretty straightforward and involves filling out uh, 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 filling out uh, the proper paperwork and petitions. Now, the, the most difficult part in the whole adoption process, and you've kind of alluded to this a little bit uh, earlier, Caitlin, is a termination of parental rights, which That can be either really easy or really difficult. It seems like none of them are right down the middle. It's like they're either one extreme or the other. And by easy, there are consents to adopt. It is possible to prepare or have a lawyer prepare a document that a parent would sign that uh, becomes irrevocable 30 days after they sign it that they agree uh, to, uh, to, to, to have this child be adopted. And, uh, uh, there are some requirements relative to, uh, a mother signing that document. Uh, it needs to be filed or it needs to be signed, uh, 72 hours after the child is born. You can't just sign it before the child is born. You have to wait a period of time. And as I said, it becomes, uh, irrevocable 30 days after the parent signs it. Um, And then you need to get that petition confirmed by the court. And there is a process known as a petition to uh, confirm consent, whereby a court would review the documentation and make sure it's signed within the statutory provisions and uh, 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 and, and essentially accept that. And then that parent's uh, 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 parental rights have been uh, terminated. The other extreme is involuntary termination of parental rights and there are specific statutory sections, the one from a private perspective that's most often used is demonstrating six months of a settled purpose. Now, that's a little bit more of six months of no contact, and that's not a pure, hard, and set six months. It's not like six months in one day, there's been you know no phone calls, no letters, uh, no FaceTime calls, no nothing, then bang, it's over. That, by case law, is a little bit... More flexible than that, and the 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 court needs to see a uh, uh, a, a um, see a, a settled purpose that the parent has no intention of uh, maintaining a relationship with the child. Um, Skip, the if up- I can
1: just interrupt you yeah. just for one second. I know I've had that situation a couple times where we get up to five and a half months. You know, mom bio mom hasn't seen the children at all. Made no attempt to try to reunify, and then just shows up um, and just does one visit and then doesn't show up again for five and a half more months. And I, I know as a foster parent, it's always a little, more, it's a little frustrating because you wonder why, why are they doing that? Um, but I think that's why they had that 15 months uh, out of 22 months rules, just so it doesn't go on forever, which right. I know it always used to be the case.
0: Right, and then uh, there's also kind of a, a a secondary one that would be that come into play relative to uh, a, a private adoption would be incapacity, which that's kind of more the the situation that you're talking about, Caitlin, where the uh, the mom shows up every five and a half months because it's almost like she knows that six months is a magic number, and uh, uh, in that instance, it's like okay, she has demonstrated an incapacity because. She has not made the necessary progress to get the child back in her home. She's just kind of gone through the motions and shown up for a visit every, every, every five and a half months. Um, there are other sections in the uh, Pennsylvania Adoption Act that are uh, very specific to children that are in uh, care through, say, a, a DHS in Philadelphia or a Department of Children, Youth, and Families in the, in the counties. Uh, about how long the child has been in care and what the the parent has done to try to improve their situation. There are specific sections to a child conceived by rape. There are specific sections of a parent has committed certain uh, other crimes. But as I said, the ones that most come up in private situations are the six months of no contact and the incapacity. Um, Going back to, uh, we mentioned the step-parent adoptions before, I'm often asked this question, which is that you know, dad has to be, you know, out of the picture. Definitely out of the picture. I mean, he's he's got to have that six months. He's got to have that incapacity. You got to either you got to either get a consent from dad, or uh, if uh, 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 or some sort of a a, a finding of incapacity uh, in order to move forward. If you're a mom seeking that uh, that 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 step parent adoption. Um, one of the other questions that comes up quite often is uh, is is uh, mothers that give birth to children and want to place them for adoption and they don't know who the father is. It's the the, the John Doe dad. Uh, sometimes these guys disappear. Sometimes the mom just plain old doesn't know who he is for whatever reason. And um, uh, the, the the petitioner, which would be the parent seeking the adoption, has to has to make an effort to try to find that guy. Either you have to publish in the newspaper to a John Doe for a child that's born on a certain day or uh, you know you have to uh, uh, if you have a name, you have to go with that name. Uh, that's usually where I get, uh, bogged down, is trying to find people that, uh, that uh, gave birth to a child or, or uh, were the father of a child, and as I said, they dropped the child off at grandparents' house and uh, they hit the road. So I got to find them in order to terminate their parental rights, because I don't want them coming back two years after the finalization and saying, I never got notice and I want the adoption set aside. Have you uh, had any experience with anything like that or heard any horror stories?
1: Oh, thank goodness. I have not. I, uh, with my, my two children that I have in my home right now uh, the bio mother identified a father who just never was able to be located. Um, She, I'm not sure. I think she may have made up a name to be honest, (laughs) just because I think the court was pressuring her, her to give them a name. Um, But I know from my my experience, I know DHS uh, here in Philadelphia, they work pretty hard for the first, I think, six or so months trying to locate this person that just didn't exist.
0: Okay. Well, and, and after the rights are terminated, I mean, there's there's a hearing, and sometimes those hearings can be uh, uh, rather drawn out because, uh, you know, there's, as you mentioned, Caitlin, you have the situation where the uh, the mother shows up every five and a half months, and, you know, it may be that she wants to fight the termination of parental rights and and she's assigned a lawyer by the court system and she goes in there and you have a hearing and she puts on her evidence as to why she doesn't think it's appropriate to have her parental rights terminated. They can be drawn out. But let's assume that you do get termination of parental rights and then you move on to finalization. Now, Usually, and I mean, good 98% of the time, finalizations are the happiest day in the courthouse. I mean, they're even happier than marriages in the courthouse. Is that uh, the judges that I'm familiar with have always done a good job of particularly little kids that make the little kid feel special and they let people come into the courtroom with cameras and the judge will pose with the family. It's really one of the nicest things that happens in the entire court system. Is that, was that your experience?
1: Unfortunately, I had to adopt my son during COVID. So it was originally scheduled for, my finalization was scheduled for the week after Philadelphia shut down. Um, So obviously it had to be continued. And about two months later, we finally got a hearing date, but it had to be via Zoom. And so it was a bit anticlimactic. The judge did a great job for what he had, but... You know, it was one of those where I had this vision of what I wanted the adoption to be with the, the photo and, you know, Ashton being able to go up and, you know, use the gavel, and all this fun stuff, which just didn't happen. I mean, the, the day itself was wonderful. I was crying the entire time. It was so amazing. Um, but I, I'm very glad that my next child will hopefully be adopted when uh, COVID quarantines are over and the courts are back open um, just so we can have that experience. Um but yeah, it, it was it was a really wonderful day. I know, even though we had to stay here at home and we weren't able to have family or friends over, we still made it a pretty special day, which was great.
0: Okay, well, um, it, it all turned out, COVID it or did. no COVID, it all turned out, and your child is your child just as much as if there was no COVID.
1: I still had the adoption decree, decree, so it counts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, I mentioned the other one or two percent of finalizations that are that are complicated, and. And like a lot of things in the adoption world, it's either really easy or really difficult. I've had a number of these which are contested adoptions, and it may be a situation where the child welfare agency such as uh, uh, CYF or DHS has chosen foster parents to adopt the child and grandparents want to adopt the child. So you have essentially competing adoption petitions. Now, I've had this a number of times from the perspective of a county agency. And what happens is it's, it's, it's almost like a very serious and a very uh, high-risk uh, uh, custody trial because you have uh, two sets of, of adoptive petitioners one sitting at one table in the courtroom and the other one sitting at the other table in the courtroom. And they're both presenting their case to the judge. And I do not envy judges in these situations because they are literally making a lifetime decision for a child. Is the child going to grow up with this set of prospective adoptive parents or is the child going to grow up with the other set of uh, of, of of prospective adoptive parents? And as I said, is that that they do happen uh, just because the the Department of Children, Youth, and Families says that so and so is has their endorsement as the adoptive parents does not put the decision out of the hands of the court system. It ultimately comes down to a judge that has to make those decisions. And uh, uh, as I said, I, I understand them. I've I've handled them. Uh, uh, I've handled those in in the past. Um, also and then from
1: my perspective, you know, I've actually seen quite a few of them. I have lots of foster families that I, I know who, you know, they, they have these children in their homes for years. I have one foster mother who I know who has five boys who are all under the age of, I think, eight. And they're these rambunctious, amazing kids who she's had for the past you know three, four years. And grandmother came out of the blue once parental rights were terminated. And grandmother, I think, is you know, early 80s and decided that she wanted to adopt these boys. And now there's this heated dispute, um, simply because they're pointing to like, is an 80 year old woman able to handle five rambunctious small boys? Um, and it's tough. And I know from my perspective, I had a child in my home for two years. And uh, at one point after two years, her biological aunt came forward and said that she wanted to, uh, to take the child. And I was asked at that point, whether or not I wanted to contest. And I said, no, because Ultimately, I do feel if there is a loving family that is able and physically, mentally able to take care of that child, that that child should go to family. Um, she could go be with her brother, with her cousins. And I felt that was the most important thing. But I actually remember the day of that adoption, I actually had the child advocate for the, the foster child who knew me. He actually was a plaintiff's attorney that I, I happened to know, called me up saying, I'm here. Are you sure you don't want to contest this? Because I guess so many foster parents do, that he was surprised that I didn't. Um, but for me personally, I, I do believe that if they can go back to family, they should.
0: Well, and 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 having been on the other side of that, representing the, the county agency, is that you have to look at adoptions from a lifetime perspective, not necessarily a childhood perspective. And what happens is that Uh, A lot of foster parents say, you know, I'm looking at this from the perspective of a five-year-old, a five-year-old that's lived with me for four years, and how can you remove that child from this situation where he or she is doing so well? And from the adoption professional's perspective, it's, well, okay, you might be able to get that child, or that it might be very well and wonderful environment that that child's living in now, but you know when that child gets to be like 16 17 years old that child's going to ask questions about their heritage and their background and you know there it, it might be that the child is of a different race or ethnicity than the adoptive parents and is going to ask questions that that, that the foster parents or prospective adoptive parents they're just no matter how much education counseling and whatever they just haven't been there and that they just can't pass that on to the child the way family can. So as we both have said, Caitlin, is that these are very difficult decisions. And as I said, I don't envy judges for having to make them. That's why they get elected and that's why they make the big bucks.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And just on a side note, if there's any listeners out there who are thinking about adoption and they're thinking about that, the the race barrier of how do I raise a child of a different race, ethnicity, religion, as I am? Um, there are so many support groups and YouTube channels about how to do hair, about how to talk to your child about race and race issues. Um, and it makes it so much easier. I mean, it's not, it's not perfect. Um, the way that I raise my children is not going to be perfect in that sense. But um, there are just so many, there's so much available to us now that there simply wasn't 10 years ago.
0: And, okay, moving on now and kind of tying up post-adoption. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it might seem crazy, but just when the adoption ends and the adoption final is finalized by the courts, that's not necessarily the end of it. I mean, Caitlin, you alluded to this before, but when you are an adoptive parent, you get a new birth certificate, correct?
1: You do. And it, when it arrived, I cried for like an hour um, because it, it made it seem more official than even the hearing itself. Um, because now my name is on my son 's birth certificate, which is just it was so heartwarming for me okay and also
0: there are uh, there are federal programs out there that if you adopt a child through the foster care system and the child is considered a special needs child, which can mean that it's part of a sibling group, or it's over a certain age, or it has had certain challenges in uh, uh, developmental challenges. That there are adoption subsidies that are available out there through the, the 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 federal government. Do you have any familiarity with that?
1: I sure do. And you know, you have to look at each state. Um, and you know, even it, one category of children that's difficult to adopt is racial minorities. So racial minorities are even part of that adoption subsidy. So I have a child who doesn't really have any medical needs. I adopted him when he was under the age limit because he's a racial minority. I continue to get an adoption subsidy for him, which is the same amount that I got as a foster parent for him. And I'll continue to receive it until he's 18 years old. And it's, it's not a lot of money. I think there's a lot of people out there that think the foster parents get rich during this. Trust me, we don't. <laughs> um, and it, it barely is enough to kind of make sure the kids are comfortable um, but it's nice to have that um, just because, I know, from my perspective, that just makes it a little bit easier to be able to send him to the schools that I want to send him to um, and make sure he has everything that I can hope for. And one other thing that, uh, that we're allowed to have in the foster, if you adopt the child on the foster system, is health care. Um, so again, you receive health care for that child until they're 18 years old. If they have certain special needs, that can actually be extended out to 21 or 25 years old as well.
0: Okay. And then the other thing is that, uh, that that I would want to touch on today is a post adoption contact agreement or a PACA. Uh, Do you have any familiarity
1: with those? I do. I do not have one um, just because my, my child did not come from a very safe home. Um, But one thing that's I'm I'm planning to do it once my second child is adopted um, because they, then they do share the same biological mother is, I do want to reach out to other siblings that they have. I know that there are four siblings who've been adopted out to two other families. And my goal is to reach out to them just so my children can grow up knowing at least four of their other siblings, um, which I think is very important to me to know that they have this family out there that they can connect with because it's not really safe for them to connect with their biological parents.
0: I'm quite often asked about uh, the concept of open adoption, which is that Mm -hmm. the child would be adopted by whomever, either former foster parents or somebody else, a relative, whatever, but the, the, the biological parents would continue to have contact with the child. Pennsylvania doesn't specifically recognize the concept of open adoption. However, they do have, or we do have, the concept of the PACA, which is the post-adoption contact agreement. They they are enforceable. Uh, they have to be entered into before the adoption is uh, is, is finalized, and uh, they have certain provisions and they have certain uh, 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 the, the, uh, They can be reevaluated as time passes by, but as I said, is that Pennsylvania does recognize them and they can be a tool in trying to finalize an adoption and uh, uh, also uh, uh, kind of negotiating, although that's not really the right term, negotiating a consent. I mean, a consent has to be uh, uh, unequivocal and there can't be anything promised, but uh, I have worked uh, post-adoption contact agreements into a signature on a consent. Um, that's really everything on my list that I wanted to talk about. Caitlin, did we touch on everything that you wanted to touch on?
1: We sure did. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the PACA, though, um, and just the foster aspect of it, when well, more specifically closed adoptions. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting to think that, you know, in the foster system, you can't technically be a closed adoption in the sense that you don't know anything about the biological parents because, you know, for the most part, we, we have contact with biological family for 15 months to two years, or maybe even longer. Right. Um, They've been visiting through, through you basically. Right. Absolutely. So you have that development, you have that relationship. um, And even if, there, like for my children, biological mother didn't really show up to visits. But even that situation, I just by the fact that I was a foster parent, I got to know, you know, who she was, who her family was, who are the other children in that family, um, which is, you know, a, a good thing for me. So I can at least share that with my children growing up. So it's it's not like I, I don't have any information to give them. I have some. Um, but, you know, again, like you mentioned, we as foster parents, we are able to then choose whether or not we want to close it off, and it's not a decision that the biological parents can make. It's a decision that us as the the adoptive parents make, um, based upon our own personal preferences and comfortability levels. And I've I've had children in my home where, if it went to adoption, I would have felt very comfortable doing an open up adoption. It just wasn't something that fit in this case.
0: Okay. Well, I guess overall, do you have any any uh, uh, how? How fulfilling it is to be a a, a foster parent and then moving on to an adoptive parent?
1: Well, I think with fostering, same thing with all adoption. No matter what avenue you take, there's going to be some hiccups, some hurdles. There's going to be probably some heartbreak along the way. But ultimately, it's the most gratifying thing when you finally are able to adopt the child, bring them into your family. It's so rewarding. And I couldn't imagine my life without the children I have in my home. Well, Caitlin,
0: thank you very much. You gave us a very interesting perspective because, as I said, not only are you an attorney, but you are an adoptive parent and you are a foster parent and you understand the system. And I have handled cases from both sides. I have handled cases for uh, petitioners and adoptions. I have handled cases for county agencies. I've kind of seen the extremes of the adoption world. Uh, and uh, I am here to discuss adoption issues with uh, anyone that might be listening to uh, our podcast. And again, it's the, uh, my name is Skip Persick, and it's the uh, King of Prussia office of Weber Gallagher. And you can reach me at 610 278 1503, or you could get, uh, find me through the Weber Gallagher uh, website which is wglaw.com. Caitlin, once again, thank you very much. I think this has uh, been uh, very informative, even for me to talk to somebody like you. So thank you. And I appreciate uh, your helping us out with this podcast today.
1: Thank you, Skip. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to Let's Talk Family Law presented by Weber Gallagher. We hope you join us next time to learn more about how to navigate the financial and legal implications of divorce, custody, asset division, and adoption. Until then, please visit us at wglaw.com.